This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Now on Philadelphia's Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, a closer look. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martirano. We're here talking about the disease of addiction and, of course, the roads to recovery. And there are more than one. Retreat, uh, Recovery Radio, I should say, is uh, sponsored by Retreat Behavioral Health. And anyone who's listened to the program for any length of time over the past five or six years uh, can automatically see there that there's a different sort of uh, uh, name here involved. Uh, Retreat Behavioral Health, the new name, uh, and we're going to find out more about that, doesn't represent any change in what Retreat is all about, but rather uh, is an expression of their expansion of their mission and the services that they're going to provide as a result of that. Who better to tell us all about that and give us the uh, the macro view of uh, behavioral health than the founder and CEO of Retreat Behavioral Health, Peter Shore. We welcome Peter back to the program. Hello, Peter. Hey, Steve. How are you today? I'm good, Peter. This is sort of Peter's state of the uh, state of the world with regard to the topic. <laughs> we always appreciate having. Uh, State of the world, huh? Boy, State of the world. I feel very important. It's a big job, but but you're you. I know you are up to it. Yeah, uh, Peter. Let's let's begin with the notion of behavioral health, so that people understand that you know what we're talking about. When we talk about behavioral health, what are we talking about? Well, we've always spoken about behavioral health being about substance abuse, about you know, addiction, about mental health. So it really it kind of a, a, a broad brush of a, a lot of different factors that go into that. Uh, we were always a, a, a drug and alcohol facility that, that specialized also in doing co-occurring disorders on our own to really provide a much better service for our patients because, you know, 80% of the patients that come into treatment suffer some form of, of, of co-occurring disorder that, you know, normally gets untreated and then the, the you know, revolving door with the patient because of, of untreated, uh, it could be depression or whatever, and, and, and nothing changes in their addiction because of that. So, you know, we made a conscious decision of, you know, not only doing that before, going a little further now and actually uh, getting a mental health inpatient and outpatient license where we can really treat people a, a little longer than they, than they were getting before on the addiction side. Uh, in the outpatient side, to really do a lot more services of, of, of a lot more individual counseling, uh, psychiatric sessions, medication management that's really important, uh, family counseling that's very important also. And, and, and people stay in that system for a long time. It's not a, a limited of, of amount of a, a month or so. It could, be, it could be for years. I mean, it's something that, you know, we're going to provide a really valuable service to the community of, of of people that not only suffer from addiction but also uh, also uh, mental health disorders. Well, you know, I, as someone who's been in in business, in fact, with with uh, you you folks for several years now, I, I can uh, I can attest to this notion that very very early on, uh, there was always a strong emphasis in retreats uh, programs on the on the mental health side, uh, and in fact. You, you, it's at some point early on. You guys were were pretty much out in front of the the whole indus- industry on that. Why why has it taken uh, so long for the, the you know the community and the industry at large to recognize the um, how closely associated mental health is to substance abuse? Why has that taken a while to figure out? 
No, and that's a good question. And I, I, I believe it's still the stigma of, of two things, uh, you know, even on the substance abuse side, the stigma of, of, of being an addict and having to go to treatment and the stigma of having, uh, you know, a mental health disorder that, you know, it, it, it classifies you as, as being mentally unstable and people don't understand that that's not what it is. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it could be complicated. It could be even more complicated than that, but it also could be something that, you know, it, with, with the proper treatment and the proper therapy that you can work your way through that and really help you live a much better life. So we, we really need to get beyond the stigma part of, of addiction and mental health so people can get the treatment that they really need. It, it, it's, it, it's always seemed to me that one of the things that contributed to the stigma of both a mental uh, disorder and a substance abuse problem is not only the kind of knee-jerk, judgmental stuff that people do well, they're doing this to themselves, but when somebody is confronted with a mental problem or, or a substance abuse problem or both, there's a real deep-seated fear, isn't there? Because unlike other diseases which you get and you really can't, you know, you're, you can't consider yourself at fault, people are frightened by something that they, they think they can't control. Isn't that part of what's caused the stigma about, about the two issues? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, of course, again, you know, it, it is beyond people's control on, on, on mental health. Substance abuse, you know, a lot of people think, you know, they blame the addict for becoming an addict, which is, which is silly in itself. But mental health, you know, it goes further. I mean, like you said, it, you know, it's no one's fault that they have a mental health issue. Uh, I mean, it could be, you, you know, simple as uh, of having some traumatic event in your life mm -hmm. that's caused a lot of this, you know, angst in your in your life. And and and, and with proper treatment and working through it, you know, you, you you can you can work through that. But there's there's a lot of trauma that. You know, there's a lot of big, it's a broad definition of what trauma is also. So, yeah. But there's a lot of people, especially young women who have suffered trauma in their life and they, and they have some severe trust issues. And, 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 and that, you see that a lot in the addiction world with these, with these, these wonderful young women who just, you know, got caught up in something and, and had some significant trauma. And, and it, it, it just, to numb that pain from that trauma, they're using substance. And that's what we're trying to overcome is people using substance to overcome their 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 mental health disorder where you know treatment and talking about it and, and and getting involved and using all these different kinds of modern technology to help you through this it, it it really will make a difference in not you know not just the mental health side but the addiction side too mm. well so look looking at um at, at retreat as a behavioral health facility now if somebody's out there going well i don't there's no substance abuse issue here but there are there are mental health issues. Are, retreat then is a place that you would go to rather than look for a, a kind of standalone operation. Am I right? Exactly. I mean, yes, yeah. so we we are able to take uh, people who are suffering from mental health disorder. We're not we're not an acute psychiatric hospital. We're not a lockdown facility. It's nothing like that. It, it it's people who have you know PTSD and trauma. You know. You know uh, bipolar disorder and things like that. So we can, how it works in mental health is, is it's a little different than with substance abuse where, where time is really important to be away from something. A lot of times with, with mental health disorders, it's, it's a matter of medication management and regulating what medications really work for that patient. Uh, you know, so they'll get that, that time needed for inpatient side where they can regulate medication, get them stabilized, so this way they can really function in, in an out, outpatient setting 
and really get into some real detail work, you know, for, for a lengthy period of time to help them through you know, the disorder they have. The addiction piece, you know, it's still, you know, we, we believe in that 30-day model where, you know, you have to be detoxed and, 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 and really start understanding what addiction does. And But it, it needs to go hand-in-hand hand with the mental health part. But if, if it doesn't, it just it, it never ends. Peter Shore is uh, with us, uh, Peter, founder and CEO of Retreat Behavioral Health to give us a, the macro view of a lot of changes that are going on, not only in the expanded uh, mission of uh, retreat, but but in the entire uh, behavioral health field um, in, in general. Peter, for uh, people who don't uh, have the clue, number one, about how this would work, can you briefly take us through the sort of intake process um, when somebody shows up at retreat, uh, the evaluation that's done immediately and how important that is, and then maybe get into a little bit of which came first, the mental health piece or the substance abuse piece. What happens when I sure. show up at, at retreat? Sure. I mean, well, it, there's, there's a whole process before you just show up. Most people don't just show up at the door. That's really not how it works. Actually, we're, we're opening uh, these new assessment centers. We're opening one in Miami this Friday. We're opening one in Philadelphia. We're going to open one in... in uh, in uh, Lansdale, Pennsylvania, and one in Hackensack, New Jersey. So what these assessment centers will do, they'll be more like community-based for people to come in and actually get a physical assessment to see what level of care they need. Uh, you know, it's really important that, that they understand that, and it's explained to them in person that this is this level of care that you would get, whether it be inpatient or outpatient, and what the benefits are for, for, for what you're suffering from. But how it works with us is, is a patient will... Uh, call into our, our admissions office, and admissions office will take, you know, all the pertinent information, find out, you know, if it's a substance abuse issue, is a mental health issue, get all the background, uh, you know, get all their insurance checks, things like that. And once, once they're cleared to come into the inpatient side, they will, they will come. We, we do 24/7 transportation. Someone will pick them up, bring them into our facility, and then they would have a, a complete assessment. Where they, you know, they, they meet with a therapist and they and they do a uh, uh, a, a complete uh, biosocial, psychosocial on on what's going on in their life. If they're using substance, family issues, it really gets pretty intensive. And then uh, medical will come down and do a, a a physical evaluation to see, you know, every, make sure everyone's okay for for being at this level of care. So it it is a lot of thought that goes into it. We just don't want people to be thrown into an inpatient setting if they don't need it. Uh, we want to make sure that they get the right level. The right level of care is very important uh, because you know it, it could be a life and death situation, especially with detox medications and things like that. So we, we take that very seriously on these assessments, and, and we make sure that people get assessed properly and 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 know which, which direction they're going in. Yeah, we, we make that point uh, very, very often here that it's uh, critical, whatever facility or or service you look to um, get involved with to help you with your problems, that, that you, you really get a, a place that knows what they're doing at the, you know, at that first point of contact. Uh, P- Peter, not, ev- uh, not everyone who has a mental uh, disorder is abusing substances and, and vi- vice versa. When you guys are confronted with someone who does have a dual diagnosis, which do you begin treating first? Well, it, you know, usually if, it, if it's a, a dual diagnosis with, with substance, we, we want to uh, detox them off whatever substance they're using. To even make a, 
a real evaluation on what the and make an assessment of what what issues are at hand. It's hard to do that when someone's actually in active addiction or and and, and using or or in a toxic state. We need to know, you know, on, on a clear-headed basis so they can give us, you know, the, the proper information we need to do a real assessment. Mm-hmm. So we'll wait, you know, a, a few days after the initial, especially if there's substance abuse, to kind of, you know, stabilize them with, with detox medications so we can do a real assessment and find out what, what their real needs are. If something coming in very toxic, it's, it, you know, you, you, you're not going to get the information that's really needed and, and and one of the tools we use also is is, is talking to family members. Because mm-hmm. you know a wealth of information comes from a family member or or a good friend or loved one that that you know can tell us what's what's going on. Because you know sometimes when you're in, in the midst of your your addiction, you you kind of lose sometimes a sense of reality and and don't really you know there's no self awareness. They don't see what's going on right. around them. So right. you know sometimes a, another voice in that really helps us. And, and, doing our diagnosis and doing our assessment. We're talking about behavioral health on Recovery Radio today with Peter Shore, who's founder and CEO of Retreat Behavioral Health, where healing happens. We have more with Peter on this important topic. Straight straight ahead. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. I'm Steve Martirano. Our guests uh, on the program, Peter Shore, CEO and founder of uh, Retreat and uh, uh, Corporate Director of Alumni Services, Maggie Hunt. Uh, last segment, guys, we, we uh, were, were talking about, you know, how, how you talk to your children about that, at what point you uh, you bring it up. A couple of things come to mind. The D.A.R.E. program has been in schools for as long as I can remember. That hasn't worked, has it? I mean, not I, really. I mean, it's worked somewhat. It's not – and in the, you're looking for – a, a great change that's not going to happen, but it. But it, if you save one life from something, to me that works. But it, it, again, is you know they they need to update it and 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 get more involved in in what's going on in the world today. I mean, the, the, yeah, Mike. Oh, I was just going to say, well, we did the Dare program when I, when I was in school, and and what I remember from the Dare program is like packets. We had packets, and it would be like showing kid. It, it was showing kids like uh, this is you know this is what drugs are. This is what, but it it wasn't anything about like why you shouldn't do them. It really was like introducing drugs overall. Um, and then and then I remember. I mean, my Dare officer. Um, was there like when I got in trouble in Bucks County. So it's like, you know, there's not a lot of follow through. You have D.A.R.E. for like yeah. a week and then it's over. Yeah, I've heard that from educators too who've seen the D.A.R.E. program and they just walk away going, I don't know, it looks like they're telling them mm-hmm. stuff that they might not even be mm-hmm. aware of. Um, so now we are we are su- swept up in, in this um, legalization of marijuana movement. I, I mean, it's easy to see where this is heading. I don't know how many states now. I think it's eight or nine uh, that have legalized recreational uh, marijuana. I, I, I'll ask the question. I think I know the answer. Is this a good idea, Peter? As studies show, and this is from Colorado, that uh, uh, driving under influence has gone up about 300% since it started. Uh, besides that, you know, people ask us all the time, is marijuana a gateway drug? Meaning that is it going to lead to something else? And I can honestly say in, in, in my whole life, I don't know anyone who's tried marijuana that hasn't at least tried something else. doesn't mean they're going to become an addict. That's not what we're saying. But they're going to try it. And when they try it, they might like it. And that could lead to addiction. 
So I don't see any benefit from it other than making dollars for a state. I can understand that part of it. But again, I, I don't – I think it's detrimental to legalize another substance that, that's mind-altering. Uh, should they decriminalize it? Yeah, I don't want to see kids who carry a joint around get a, a criminal record because I think that's silly. But you know, to to you know, publicize it and 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 exploit that now it's legal and <coughs> now you can smoke it. You're all right to do that if you're 21 years old. I don't see a benefit in it. I, that's my opinion. But you know, I'm, I'm I'm one of of millions that that are against it, but there's millions that are for it. Yeah. The, well, this is a social experiment that. Um I don't think we've taken enough time to, you know, wonder about unintended consequences. For instance, one of the unintended consequences here of this move towards legalization of marijuana, it's made your job as a mom harder, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to tell kids about the dangers of drugs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think – I mean, I think that marijuana 100 percent is a gateway drug and mainly because if you are – smoking marijuana or buying marijuana or hanging out with people who are doing marijuana, like exactly like Peter said, um, they definitely have other substances or know where you can get other substances. And that's kind of like where it leads. And eventually people talk about the different highs that the different drugs give you. Um, and curiosities killed the cat or is that how, you know, that's, that's what happens. I'm serious. Cause that was, that's what it was for me. You know, that's what it was for me. And that's Nine how times it killed the cat. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, I did go to treatment 10. So that's that why counts. cats are so curious. They know they got nine chances. Well, that's an interesting uh, take on gateway, gate, the gate, the notion of a gateway drug, which, which, you know, after doing this show and hearing you guys for so many years, I kind of changed my mind about about that. I mean, yes, you're right. It, it puts you in an environment that almost automatically may lead to something else, just in terms of youthful um, experimentation. But, I mean, it, addiction is not based on some pathway, some some beginning point. I mean, it's always the same. If you're going to get hit by this disease, if you are going to become a substance abuser, it doesn't make any difference where you start, does it? No, absolutely not. You can start with cigarettes, you can start with coffee, you can start with anything. I mean, yeah. this is a this is an organic problem that you don't... You don't the, the difference is with substance, though, especially with opiates, it's, it's a physical addiction, where it's a little different than drinking coffee and, and getting addicted to that. Because of tolerance levels and stuff. Well, like that. It, it changed your brain chemistry. It's a, it's a little different. Opiates, what it does, and and your opiate receptor, your your uh, dopamine receptors are depleted because of the opiates, and it's 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 much more complicated when 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 drug addicts are using opiates than any other yeah. anything else. Because yeah. when we say, look, there's there's thirty million people in the United, more than thirty million people have some kind of addiction. Doesn't necessarily mean substance abuse, addiction, but a good majority of that are addicted to substance, and that's you know that's what's killing our, our country. That brain chemistry uh, description needs to be better understood by by the public because, and this came up at the Q and A the other the other uh, evening, um, w- when you see people behaving in self destructive ways, um, doing things that even they know are ruining their lives and killing their families, and just uh, but they continue doing it. You can go, well, gee, that's a bad person, or there's something wrong with that person. Yeah. They're, they're not thinking properly. No, that's a sick person. That's yeah. someone who needs help. That's someone whose brain chemistry is telling them, this is what I need. You know, how, how are you responsible for that? How do you say to someone, just don't do that? Right. But my brain is telling me I need to do that. That's why they need to learn some, some structure and, and how to beat that. And it's not so easy. They need to have some – times they need some medically assistant treatment to get them to that point. Maggie, uh, you're in recovery now almost a decade, right? Almost, yeah. Almost a decade. 
and I know you, I've heard you talk about this. Um, you, I mean, you look back at your behavior, and you and you, you're just astonished the things that you were willing to do just to, just to get high, right? Well, what I think hap- what happens is when you're coming down from the substance, all the serotonin in your brain is depleted, so there's no happiness, and your brain is literally telling you. If you don't get this substance, you're going to die. So it's like survival mode. It's it's flight or flight or fight or flight response. Like that's what happens. So I'm not thinking, oh, I really don't want to like steal this from my mom because like I know she worked hard for it. I'm thinking like I'm not going to live. I'm just gonna, well in my mind I would think I was just going to like combust um, really, if that, I don't. Maggie's not dramatic though. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't. Get the money to get this substance. That's what's going to happen. Um, but that, but it was a lot of the brain chemistry telling me to do that because, as a sober, sane person, like I don't want to do any of those things. Maggie Hunt, uh, corporate director of Alumni Services, along with uh, Peter Shore, who is the founder and CEO of Retreat. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We'll return with uh, with Peter and, uh, and Maggie. Straight ahead, but this is the portion of the program where I give you a phone number for a retreat, and I tell you every week, I hope you never, ever have to use it. And I know that uh, Peter and everybody in retreat hopes you never have to use this. But this disease arrives unannounced. It, no one's ever ready for it. No one ever plans ahead. And they have to make extraordinarily difficult decisions under enormous pressure and often don't know what to do. I mean, you guess you can Google stuff, but it won't give you uh, the kind of answers you're going to need. So that's why uh, Peter said, give them our phone number and make sure they understand that we're, we're there as a resource. We'll, we'll help them in any way we can. Their reputation is um, uh, well established. They've helped lots and lots of people at retreat, but we're not here to tell you it's the only way you can get sober. Here's their phone number. You know you have those fire and uh, emergency numbers on the magnets on your refrigerator, um, poison control. They're up there in an emergency. This number should be in a drawer someplace. 855-859-8808. That's how you reach Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. Here's what I guarantee you. When you call that someone, an actual person, will will answer, answer the, the phone and uh, just tell them what your question is. You, you'll get some... Uh, maybe life-saving information from them. 855-859-8808, Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. Their CEO and founder, Peter Shore, is our guest, along with his corporate director of alumni services, Maggie Hunt. You just heard me do the Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment uh, tagline. There's some exciting news about changes. You're not going to be saying that much longer. I know that. Tell Tell us what's afoot for you guys. Well... Retreat has always treated people holistically, the whole person. And what we've seen over the years, probably north of 80% of the of the population that comes in has some mental disorder that goes untreated. And if that goes untreated, nothing changes. You know, it's just a vicious cycle that keeps going and going and going. Not necessarily everybody's going to need that, but a great majority of the people today have some kind of mental disorder that we need to treat. So we made a conscious decision. I mean, years ago, we've always treated this on, on, on a peripheral way. But now we, we received our mental health license in Pennsylvania. And uh, we're rebranding ourselves to have the name Retreat Behavioral Health because we are a complete behavioral health company now where we treat not only addiction piece but the mental health piece. Um, you guys were at the forefront, as you say, even before this uh, this uh, ch- change of, uh, of uh, branding. Um the condition that you're referring to is uh, called co-occurring. 
Well, even more than co-occurring disorders. I mean, it really is a is a, a mental health facility. It's not an acute psychiatric hospital. That's not what it is. It's 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 a uh, mental health facility where we've always had. You know, a patient was you know showed signs of schizophrenia or something like that, and they weren't uh, able to uh, regulate their medication. We'd have to send them to the word higher level of care. Well, now we are the higher level of care. We don't have to do that, and we could we can manage the patient we can you know get them stabilized so they can stay in treatment and take care of both the mental health problem and the addiction piece in your experience maggie how common is it for people to have a behavioral or a a mental health component part of their substance abuse oh yeah i mean it happens all the time and actually specifically um especially for females, a lot of their co-occurring disorders come out once they put the substance down. Um, so for a lot of females um, who struggle with like suicidal ideation or eating disorders, um, they'll put the substance down and they'll pick right up on um, you know purging or binging or not eating anything at all. Um, so we, we see it all. I see it all of the time. When I was working, um, I worked second shifts um, and facilitated groups all the time. Um, and it, it affects, I would say, more than half of our population. Uh, Peter, you'll be prepared then to handle all kinds of uh, situations, Tra- uh, trauma, trauma, PTSD. Yeah, all, all, all kinds of situations like that. And it's it's you know, it could probably be you know you don't get a lot of time for mental health patients. So a diagnosis of mental health, you won't get the same length of time you will for an addiction. But the outpatient part of it, where you get individual counseling, all these different services that psychiatric services and medication management and things like that, what's really going to keep the person in a a straight path. So the addiction piece becomes secondary after that. Once you start dealing with the mental health issues and they put the the, uh, substance down, now, now the work starts. So how will that work practically from, from you know, a ground level at, at retreat? If I come here and I want to be treated for substance abuse and I'm, I'm not particularly concerned about my, my emotional state, uh, will I be directed to a certain group of people, certain uh, techniques? Yeah. I mean, it, it will mostly happen. Uh, but we, we do it now. We, I mean, we identify people with, with, you know, different issues, especially young women with trauma and things like that. We, we identify that now, and we have specialty groups for them. But the aftercare part of it is where it comes difficult because there aren't any many mental health facilities that there will, no, yeah for a step down of, of a PHP and IOP. And so there's no, like, sober living right. facility. So you're sending them to a drug and alcohol PHP, IOP. They're not getting the help they need. They really need to get something on, 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 their, on the mental health side of it. You know, when people have said to me, well, how, does, how do you even know what kind of a facility you, you need to go to? What should, what should you, you be looking for? I always tell them, uh, you'll know a lot about the, the place you're going to by their, the first people you start to talk to. That process, that in, I guess you guys call it intake. What, uh, you know, when you evaluate people, because they, they don't know what they need. I mean, they know they have a problem, yeah. but they don't know what they need. T- t- can you explain a little bit about what that ha- how that happens well, m- here? Most people coming in are pretty toxic. So they don't know. It's hard to do an assessment when someone's toxic. So right. you have to really wait till they they've, they've come down a little. And and even that, you know, a lot of people come in and they say, "I'm bipolar. I was diagnosed as bipolar." 
to diagnose, diagnose someone with bipolar disorder when they're in their throngs of addiction <laughs> is just a waste of time and a waste of energy to say that because it's how do you know it's not the drugs causing the up and down mood swings. So we, we have to detox them for whatever substance they have and do a real proper uh, assessment. I mean, we do an assessment when they first come in. It's like social, get all their information, talk to family members, find out any information they might have on that. It's a, it's a whole process. We want to get as much statistics as we can on someone to really help them to see what's the best fit for them. Mm -hmm. what, do, what do they need? What's their needs? Mm -hmm. What can people expect in terms of the timeline here from the moment they show up at, for instance, retreat to getting into the, you know, getting a bed or something? How, how long is that process? Well, I just wanted to answer your question before that because yeah. you said about the intake and for people. I mean, for family members, when they if they're calling and they, they want to find like that perfect facility for their for their child or their loved one, that intake, that first person that they talk to, that does have a big impact on them. I know, like for my mom, when she was looking at a facility, the first person who she talked to, they, like that gave her a listening ear and told her about the program that they offered, that was where she wanted to send me at that time. Um, and so luckily for us, we have a call center where people can call, we can give them all of the information and we can do that as well. Um, but to your to your other question, what was the other question that you asked me before? Uh, what's the time? Is there a typical timeline? Somebody shows up here in crisis. Oh. How shows quickly? In, in they're, they're, how the process works is yeah. that there's a phone call made. Yeah. Right. And they'll call our admissions department. Admissions department will do a, 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 a short assessment take all their information on substance and this and that. They'll verify their insurance benefit that they have for this level of service they want to come in. And then, uh, depending on where the patient is, you know, it could be a matter of minutes to hours, we'll send transportation to go pick up that patient. Then they get picked up, they come, and they see an intake counselor immediately, mm -hmm. and, I mean, as soon as they get there. And they assess the situation, they talk to them, they see, they get all the information, vital, we have nursing come down, take vital signs, make sure they're, they're stable, uh, get all that information, call into the insurance company, you can't call into the insurance company until the patient's in front of you, uh, and get all that information, set that up, within, sometimes within an hour, they're admitted and, and in a bed already. What what um, what kind of advice can you give family members who um, have made that call, think this is the facility they want to get their, their loved one to, and then the loved one starts to resist it or is foot dragging? Is there any advice you can give people in situations like that? To I know when your drivers are guests on the show, they are such an critical link. They're the last mile to get somebody here. So they've heard all the excuses and pull over, let's have one drink before we uh, <laughs> all we go, all that stuff. What, what about family members? Is there any advice you can give, Mag, that somebody who goes, okay, I, I got the place, let's go, and then they start you know, dragging their feet? Well, I would probably have, tell family members to take it a step ahead of time, have everything set up and ready to, ready to go if somebody is resistant before. Usually you know if, if, if somebody's going to, like if they're going to go in willingly or if there's going to be a little bit of resistance. But it's hard. I mean, that's the biggest thing that, that family members struggle with. Um, having support around you when you're ready to make the decision to go, um, it, it's hard. In Pennsylvania, there's no laws that can mandate somebody to drug and alcohol inpatient treatment. Um, so it's one of the biggest hurdles that parents and family members deal with yeah, all the time. There are no bars uh, at a, a facility like retreat. No. Uh, and, all, and that's sort of, I mean, there are circumstances I can certainly see where someone ought to be committed to a facility because they're a danger to themselves well, or others. Yeah, that, and that's what, what you call in, in, in Pennsylvania is uh, Act 302, mm -hmm. where you throw to someone to a, a mental health facility, and they're there for at least 72 hours for evaluation and maybe longer, depending on what the evaluation 
which says. And I always tell people, I'm going to 604 you. And they say, what's that? I go, well, you're acting so crazy that I'm going to do it twice. I need you twice. Yeah. Right? Um, but generally speaking, uh, it, it's kind of uh, oxymoronic to expect that you can force somebody no, against their will to come to a treatment facility. It's even worse than that. You know, when, a, when an 18-year-old kid comes in and parents bring him in, and the parents are, are so involved and entrenched in this, they want their kids to do really well. And the kid says, well, I don't want my parents to know anything that's going on here. They're an adult. You know, HIPAA laws say we can't tell anybody anything because they said that. It's terrible. I mean, parents, they don't understand that. They just, what do you mean? I'm paying for this. I want to know what's going on. I said, and, you know, we wish we can tell you. But they, they, they said that they don't want you to know anything. We have to respect them as an adult, even though they act like a child and they're your child, that we can't re- uh, release any information on that patient. That's it's really heartening to see a family member hear that because they want to know that their kid's doing well. Uh, and we're going to take a break here now, but before we do, uh, this one last um, notion with regard to that initial period of time. How soon does the family find out what their role in the treatment's going to be? Because a lot of people, as I say, think they can drop this problem off, go away, and someone will call us when it's better. Do you tell them almost immediately, look, we have families involved in this and we support do. We do. We do family workshops. Uh, the therapist will do a family uh, session with the fa- It depends. Again, you know, we have to take everyone's an individual. You know, the families could be the part of the problem, too. You know, we have to, we have to kind of sort it out before we make any decisions on what kind of family participation that's going to be part of this process. Peter Shore uh, and uh, Maggie Hunt from Retreat Behavioral Health. Soon. Soon. Uh, and uh, more of Recovery Radio straight ahead. Please don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Bartorano with you uh, on the telephone. Uh, Peter Shore, who is uh, the founder and CEO of Retreat Behavioral Health. We have been talking about not so much the changes at Retreat, but uh, as I said at the beginning, their uh, their mission and services as they expand into the wider area of behavioral health, and we've been finding out what all of that means as well. Uh, Peter, when we began this program, uh, and you and you guys said you you know you wanted to support it, and I remain remain uh, in your debt for that because you've been great partners in this thing. We um, you made it clear that you agreed it shouldn't be an infomercial. Uh, we're not telling people this is the only way to get. Uh, to get sober or sane. Um, that remains the, the mandate here on the program. So when I give out Retreat's phone number, um, people can still get not only answers about substance abuse, but now they can get answers about their mental health problems, correct? That is correct. And, and it's important what you just said about, uh, you know, not being just an infomercial about Retreat. I mean, obviously we're a sponsor. You know, we talk about Retreat, and you have a lot of guests from Retreat. But it's about educating the public on, on what's going on with with substance abuse and mental health. And, you know, a lot of times people call our admissions office and they're not appropriate for our facility and we'll guide them what they need. You know, we, we don't want people to get stuck and lost. We want people to get help. Yeah. And, and I say this every week and I, I remember the first time you suggested it to me, uh, give them the phone number and, uh, and uh, remind them that we hope they never have to use it. But in a, but in a tough spot, uh, this phone number could be uh, very important. So let me give your phone number out and people understand why we, we uh, you know, we give it to them and uh, hope they never have to use it. 855-859-8808. That's how you re- uh, reach Retreat Behavioral Health. 
859-8808. Peter Shore with us. Peter, you've been in this uh, field for a very long time. Um, is this the worst? Why do you have to, why do you have to say that? Uh, because you're, you're damn near as old as I am. It's unbelievable. <laughs> You, you're, you, you've seen, uh, you've seen bad times in uh, substance abuse. Is this the worst situation you've ever seen right now? What we're going through? By, by far. I mean, by far. That how many people are dying from, from overdoses is epidemic proportions. It's, it's. You, you see our, our youth floundering and and, 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 and just, you know, the number one killer for kids eighteen to twenty five is overdoses. That, that just shouldn't be. I mean, we have enough knowledge and we have enough resources that that this shouldn't happen. And it, it's just it, it's it's at its worst ever. We've seen, you know, we, you and I talked during a, many times about about the uh, crack cocaine epidemic of the eighties, uh, particularly in urban uh, places like New York and Philadelphia. Um, and I didn't think I'd ever see anything worse than this. But the mortality rate today, as you mentioned, is is staggering. This is. Uh, this is a, a flat a flat out killer, and you know we we have to wonder. Sit here wondering what's it going to take to finally get everybody, you know, all hands on deck on this thing. Yeah, I mean, and it's getting worse. I mean, you you see all every day about these these arrests of of fentanyl coming into the United States. That each arrest can kill twenty million people. I mean, each 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 uh, amount of of, of substance they're finding of of fentanyl can kill 20 million people and who knows what gets in i mean it, it's just it's crazy uh, again you know we, we say education is important law enforcement and seeing what's 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 going on and coming into our country i mean fentanyl is coming from china uh you know to 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 make sure that that doesn't happen and doesn't come in here uh you know heroin was a big enough problem you know i, I think we talked about how heroin used to be 15 percent purity and a few years ago, it went up to ninety percent purity. So you were seeing, you know, you know, more addicts. You were seeing more people overdosing. But in the last two years, where fentanyl has become, you know, part of our our, our vocabulary, where you know everyone who's overdosing has fentanyl in their system, and now fentanyl has moved to other drugs. It's not just opiates and heroin. It's moved to cocaine. It's moved to synthetic marijuana. It's it's moved to pills. People don't even know what's in it. And it's a hundred times more powerful than heroin. Uh, Carfentanil is ten thousand times more powerful than heroin. It, it, it's 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 here. It's here to stay. We got we we've got to do something about it as a society in in every aspect. Not just educating people not to take it, but you know helping law enforcement uh, you know find it and and, and get rid of it mm-hmm. because we have an epidemic and yeah. we need to do something about it. Can, can you take just a moment and give us your? Um your your opinions on things like safe uh, injection sites and the uh, widespread use of Narcan. I mean, some people uh, confuse those efforts with enabling when it when really it's something else. Can you can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're, they're lifesavers. You know, we we we've we've come to a you know a, a new era where it's not just you know getting people clean and sober for the rest of their lives. A lot of it has to do with harm reduction. We're losing too many people. You know, we have to find ways to to keep them alive so we can do places like we have and, and educate them and, and help them get through not only their substance use but their mental health disorders. You know, but, but you can't do that if they're dead. 
So you need to have places like this and, 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 and give Narcan out and save people's lives. It's, you know, uh, you know, being a parent, you want to have Narcan in your house, you know, even if your child's not an addict, you may, you know, just in case something happened, you could be a neighbor calling. It's not expensive. You can't hurt anyone with it. Uh, it, it it's just something that, you know, it, it, it's not, you know, a lot of people look at it as, oh, you just, you know, you, you're, you're just enabling the addict that they can just take it and then you have to have something that they can come back from. You know, you don't want people dying, so you got to find something that works. Can't help anybody when they're dead. Peter, uh, Peter Schuer, thanks so much, Peter. It's so, oh, you know, as I tell you many, many times, it's uh, great to be a partner with you. And I'm real pleased that as you uh, expand your purview with Retreat Behavioral Health, that uh, the radio show is still part of that. Thank, thanks. Appreciate it. Peter, Thank uh, you, Stephen. Thank what you do. Peter Shore, uh, founder and CEO of Retreat Behavioral Health. Uh, everybody, uh, enjoy the rest of uh, your week and uh, look for us next time on Recovery Radio. Bye-bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.